the nation's best are coming to Hamilton. The Marauders are proud to host the 2023 U Sports Men's Volleyball National Championship and will welcome the top men's volleyball teams in Canada to McMaster University. Eight teams, 11 games, and only one champion. Secure your spot now and be there to catch all of the action. Your seat awaits. Tickets are available at marauders.ca slash tickets. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Dimes. Really excited for today's guest. Thanks to friend of the show, Derek Dedman, because, yeah, it is about time we got this guy on the show. So today's guest grew up playing for Ottawa Fusion and Ruse before going on to collect a bunch of backpacks at Nipissing, Algonquin, Mohawk, where he's an OCAA champion. He then went on to play for Ryerson before he was scooped up to go play pro in Spain and Sweden. And I'm happy to announce we got him on the beach national team. Please welcome to the show, Eric Gerard. Eric, thanks for doing this, man. Thank you very much for having me. So... That's quite the resume. Hopefully we get to all of it. But I got to know before this all started, I heard a rumor you are awesome in the martial arts world. So I got to know what other sports were you playing growing up before you decided, you know what, I'm going all in on this volleyball thing. No, it's just karate. Karate kickboxing as a kid. And then right to volleyball. I really just followed anything my brother was doing. Anything that he could help me get better at. So you, you literally followed him into karate or you wanted like a physical sport? He started karate and then I thought, oh, that's cool. I'll do it. And then he left. I saw success in karate. He, he did. He was successful, but not as successful in it. And then started playing volleyball. I thought, oh, cool. Let's, let's drop the black belt and let's pick up a volleyball. Wow. And when you say success, just for our listeners here in karate, I understand you won like a world's tournament, didn't you? Yeah, I went to Spain in 2006 and I double medaled in point fighting and kickboxing. So I went to world championship goals. And were your parents on board with you, like striking other kids at this age? Like, <laughs> my, Funny enough, my mom is very quiet, but she was, and this, I don't know, you can't do this these days, but back then she's like, make that kid clean. <laughs> you go up there and she we had the ritual and she would just smash she grabbed my head and I was wearing a headpiece like gear and she would just headbutt me and amp me up and then I was just fired up I was ready to kill someone she would say I was a different person in the ring it was just that twinkle in my eye and you chose you didn't want to pursue that like you thought a team sport would be more fun or you got into the school system and you started playing volleyball and you're like this is this is awesome uh, it was kind of both you can't you can't go on a scholarship to play karate or fight and so i thought volleyball the team aspect of things was later i realized that's what i really enjoy the brotherhood and, and having somebody else hold you accountable and holding others accountable is awesome i think karate was just you if you failed it was it was on you if your success was on you and it was lonely true individual sports are, are a little bit different so uh, what was your entry point was it school sport or did you go to like a, a ruse house league or a ruse tryout how did you hear about it um, my brother started playing ruse and then, and that's when I, I think I was 12 or 13. So you started at what, 14 U? We didn't have like, yeah. or nothing like that back then. So started at 14 U, didn't do 15 U because I did, I, I did go back to karate for a year. Uh, I think I got a little bronze and I was pissed. Screw this and go back to volleyball. <laughs> yeah, I was a shit kid. So how long were you a Rue? Because I have to say on air, and this isn't just because like Colin Walker was a big part of that club. I thought Rue's had an awesome logo and it was, it was really cool. But then they amalgamated with, I think it was Capitals or who was yeah, the other clubs? So that created fusion. So uh, as a kid, did you know that the clubs were combining? You're kind of like, I just want to play volleyball. Just tell me what club I'm on. No, I knew. I knew there was some drama in Ottawa and, and 
that's what it was about. So fusion created their their club, and I guess fusion was why they, they fused. <laughs> I think I don't don't hold me on this, but I think they may have pitched to Mavs to do one super club, but Mavs were like, "No, we don't need you guys. We're good." Rightfully so. And did you ever want to be a Mav? Because uh, traditionally they are like the the boys' club. I know Jay is doing a great job at Fusion, and, that, and that's changing a little bit. But uh, in my era, I thought the Mavs were always like pretty strong. Definitely, especially my year, they were. They drew RC, which I know's been on the show. He's a good friend of mine, and they always had a stronger team. Uh, I tried out. I think one year uh, I had to miss one of the trials, and that was kind of it. No shot after that. Um, but but they were very much a. Player club, I want to say. I'm I'm very on board with Jay's athlete before player, uh, and I, I truly believe that you should be able to play racket sports to kind of do everything to progress as an athlete to then be able to do the fine tuning. And did you find karate helped you play volleyball? Because I'm thinking like just general coordination, proprioception. Like, were you a pretty good ball sport athlete as soon as you started playing? Obviously, the the discipline and knowing how to train, but like just general athleticism. Did you feel that transferred? Uh, I, I believe so. The fast twitch, it's always quick. It's pretty much, uh, I don't want to say tag, but it is <laughs> fast paced tag when you can get kicked in the face. Uh, but I also, through elementary school, because I went to a French elementary school, I, we learned to juggle. And so I would sit in front of the TV and just juggle between the legs, kind of sitting on the ground to the point where my parents would be like, can you stop? I can't see. <laughs> All I see are balls just flying up in the air. And so that was very good for my hand eye. And to this day, I think I was even juggling and training today. Yeah. So with fusion, as you got a little bit older, when did post-secondary become a thing? Like when you were a fusion guy, I think one of the stronger boys clubs was like Ben Harper and Jules and them, but you're not their age, right? Like who would have been on your team? Uh, <laughs> okay. Nice. Actually, Vitas is um, one of my best friends to this day. And that was a big part of club. Vitas and I didn't like, we wanted to win. Obviously everyone wants to win. But we loved hanging out and just being boys and hanging out with the girls. Nice, nice. But uh, obviously in the Ottawa area, a lot of athletes go on to play post-secondary. So would, did you start contacting other schools? Did they invite you on visits? Like when did it become serious that you could play at the next level? I did send a ton of emails and didn't get much response. I mean, we weren't a great club team. We weren't tier one or anything. Uh, everyone was looking at Crush anyway. My age group. Are you Reed May's age? Yeah. Okay. We had to play that crush team. <laughs> yeah, that was great. Half the national team, yeah. yeah. So we played them. But no, it was, I sent out to a bunch of universities and didn't hear back. And I remember being, I think it was a January tournament and sitting next to Eric Young uh, for Nipissing. And I looked and I was like, school are you? He's like, Nipissing. I'm like, where's that? North Bay. Oh, my family's from North Bay. And that was kind of it. And I thought, oh, I'm going to go back to where my family's from and try that out. I definitely wanted to get out of Ottawa and do my own thing. And so that, that sort of triggered that. And we kept in contact. And I went out and played with their guys. They were, they were very good. They had a, a mature team. A lot of, I think, mid-20s guys for a CCAA team was pretty older experience, however you want to say it. Um, and that was awesome. I loved it. Everything clicked. Uh, it was the school side of things that didn't look interesting. Was that Frankie's era? Who would, yeah. I would be Frankie. He did one more year after me. Scott Coulthard, maybe? Sorry. Was Scott yeah, Coulthard on the team? Scott, Bilby, both Bilby's Yes, okay. 
and the uh, Lock brothers. Yes, the brothers were solid. Yeah, solid. I think it was six five on that team. Our, our M two was like six four. Wow. Yeah. So you wanted to get out of Ottawa, but then you made the decision to be at that time at Algonquin Thunder. I believe they've changed their name now, but uh, yeah, something like that. Anyways, poor decision if you're listening, Gawk. Uh, but you you made the decision was part of that because you wanted to go home. Yeah, I went back home and Mooney had reached out and and I thought, yeah, I'll still play volleyball and I wanted to go to entrepreneurship and business. Um, big real estate guy. My uncle's a developer in Ottawa. And so I was always interested in all that, all the self-help books, Rich Dad Poor Dad, all these things. And so I went to Algonquin and I, I didn't I wasn't learning a whole lot. A lot of the courses were kind of things I was reading about. And so I thought I did my one year and that was it. I didn't finish the program. That's when I stepped back and I really thought about this. What the hell do I want to do? And at that point, I thought all of was done. Really, I thought I didn't make it. I'm kind of, I wasn't the guy ever on any of these teams. And so I thought, that's it. And then uh, through Madawaska and Ben and Brett Tomin, uh, they thought, hey, Eric, come party. At, they, one went to Fanshawe, one went to Mohawk. And they said, hey, come, come check out the school. Because I expressed maybe wanting to go back to school. And that's what triggered that and me going to Mohawk. Nice. So before we jump ahead of that, what can you say about my guy, Jay Mooney? Because I know you mentioned on this, I do want to take a deeper dive for our listeners. It seems like the philosophy at Fusion now with Jay being a big part there is like you mentioned, be an athlete first, not necessarily just a volleyball player. So do you think he had that philosophy when he's coaching Gonk? Like, was it a lot of like, how good of an athlete can we make you versus like how specialized can you bob this ball around? No, I think there, that was different too. We had eight or nine guys. So practices had to be very specific, uh, big numbers guy. So he's thinking if we serve one, they'll likely set this ball like left side 60% of the time. So we'll double up and things like that. So that's where I kind of tactically picked up a lot. Learned a lot from Jay Mooney. I'm glad you said that on the internet because that was always my hunch when he used to thump us down with George Brown. But uh, <laughs> now I know for a fact. And uh, I, I'm glad that you mentioned that you thought volleyball was done because you played with some ballers. So it would have been very easy to pursue and be like, oh, I can play this longer because at Algonquin, I think you play against the adult league there. But you're also on a team with Phil Yeldon, who I think was as good of a college player as I've seen, right? Jeez, that guy, I think I still have a Mikasa print yeah. for walking him one time. Yeah. Not many times, but when you did, you felt it. And it was hard enough that he did not want to block me. But it was, and I think a block is the best feeling you can have in the sport of volleyball, I think. And no, after blocking Philly Ellen, no thanks, not again. So what was uh, Coach Matt Snar's impression when you expressed interest to go to Mohawk? I'm, I'm sure you didn't tell him that Tonin said this was a fun school to go to. Like, what was the first conversation with Coach? Uh, honestly, first thing he said to me, one of, was, if you're going to come here, have fun for a year. I don't want you here at all. You're not going to be part of this program. And I respected that. And I think the first year at which Schnarr was, was figuring each other out, um, he could tell that I wanted to be there. Um, but it was just about managing that. Glad he didn't pull any punches there. So I, I believe it was your second year. You guys take it down, but take me through that year. Was the talk always that you guys were going to get a championship? Like is Snar a big process guy? Is he a big end result guy? Was it just about beat Humber and Fanshawe? Like what was the vibe in that year? <laughs> that year, uh, being the West, it was a huge shock from East to West because every night you had to show up to play. Like even a Sheridan that, that year, the Phantom, 
Yep. I think a young, young Josh Butler was maybe on that team. I think who else they had, but yeah, Phantom was like the guy. Yeah. Oh, not yeah. He was near the end. Yeah. Oh, okay. But, but so Phantom had to show up. So we were uh, processed. It was more about being the brotherhood that everybody needs to be a part of this so that we can win. We can't win with 13 guys in. We need all 14 guys to be a part of this. And we call it the bubble. And we would say, oh, you're getting close to popping the bubble here, but we really need everybody to buy in. And we had that. And we were lucky enough. But like, we had mostly the same team both years, which is tough for on the college scene where guys are kind of in and out. It's a revolving door of just kind of managing who you have, where he was able to develop some players. Uh, we had Nate Delanese, who was awesome. Uh, he did a ton of work over the summer. And he's a guy that, I mean, we went to Seneca and, and he, Sorry, they wrapped the antenna. Like, like antenna was in, right in front of him and he's wrapping it. He's blocking the antenna. Like, <laughs> from that to then getting picked up by Mac and playing. Yeah. And I played with him in the long night game this past year and this has served just everything. It's right. It just taken off. But from that kid that wrapped the antenna to now, it was a lot of that work started at Mohawk and then just kind of developed from there. Unreal. So I'm curious about this bubble thing because we just had uh, Anthony DiGiamalo from Windsor on the team and he said one of their unwritten rules is if you don't know a guy, you have to hang out with him. So you just invite like a stranger to go study or go for lunch or go do this. Like, so with Mohawk, that being the focus, was it kind of an unwritten rule for you guys that you were always going to hang out together? You're always going to find each other? Like what was what was the informal way to build that trust with your teammates? There, there was no unwritten rule or anything like that. Everyone just wanted to be together. Like the boys were always down. It was, it was an amazing thing to be part of because you could really tell we all bought it this second year. So as the season progresses, uh, you guys hosted that year? We did. We hosted my second year. I think they just hosted uh, basketball the year before nationals as well. So they, Mohawk was a solid athletics uh, school and they had the gym for it. Oh, I love that gym. I think part of my Deciding to go to school was Mohawk fan shop. And the the vibe I got at Mohawk, I was a little closer with some of the guys. So it kind of helped. But the gym did it for me, I think. It was it was a, a sweet gym to host. And, and they've got that it's super long. When we were in trouble, they would open the wall. Yeah. You would have to go full length runs. Oh, that's happening <laughs> all the times. But yeah, that, that gym's awesome. So did hosting take any pressure off about qualifying for the finals or you guys, you wanted to like earn your spot regardless that it was going to be at home? Uh, I don't think we were ever in doubt that we would be in a gold medal match to be totally honest with you at Provincials. We, we believed the entire time. We knew we'd be there. And I think that showed on the court. We were, I don't think we were loved in the league. No, you weren't. As a guy who was in the league, no, you weren't. <laughs> <laughs> and I was okay with that because if you're... If you're not loved, there's a reason for it. You're probably doing something right. There was just so much energy and it was hard to play against. What was your setter's name? Chris Back. Uh, the one before him. Maybe it was before your time. He was so emotional. And I was like, usually setters don't act like this. And he was so fired up all the time. So he was the double knee slack. Yes, he was. <laughs> he just asked me to play in the men's league tournament. Yeah, I think I want to see him play again. Oh, my God. I didn't know how he sustained the energy to do that the whole match. Like, from 0-0, zero, zero he was selling. And he had no knees. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that was the vibe at Mohawk. Take me through. Do you remember that year? Who was your quarter semifinal that year? Um, 
Second year we played Georgian. Yeah, I think Georgian. Wooden Georgian. And that was like, it was thrill. We were confident that we were getting in guys. We were getting guys in off the bench. Like it was, it was a good match. And we had a, a guy coming from Scotland who actually officiated my wedding in May. No way. Um, but he came in to play for that my second year. And he served an absolute missile. I remember I got subbed off and he came in to serve just missile. It was sick. I got a huge float serve and the crowd, we all went wild. Full crowd? Yeah. Nice. And then your semi was another West team. I'm trying to think that year. I can't place it very well. I wasn't there. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I wasn't. <laughs> Remember the final? Yeah. The final would have been... Oh, you know what? Durham upset. Fanshawe. Oh, that was that year. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I wanted to play Fanshawe. And you're right. I all due respect to Durham. That was an upset. That Fanshawe team was solid. Oh, my God. Couldn't get it done, but they were so yeah. Seven, they, yeah, they had a good squad, and uh, I remember being in the warming up because we played after their semi, and Sebastian's sister pointed at me specifically because we were going off. Like I wanted to play Fanshawe, but I think I wanted them to lose more to Durham because that was worse. Them losing to Durham was worse than them losing to us in the final. Fair. Fair. And I was happy about that. And I remember him saying that his sister pointed me out. I was like, he was the worst one. He was cheering a lot. Of this. I'm like, hell yeah, I was. And I mean, Seb, I mean, it, you're a friend and all, but you have a rugged side. If you pissed off Maddie, you know you did really bad. Like, <laughs> she doesn't get too fired up in my experience. Yeah, things haven't been the same with Seb since. haven't had a ton of. Well, I mean, he, he responded in one player of the year this year. He's still going. So. Yeah. That's good to see. <laughs> So you take down an OCAA championship, you go to nationals. How did this opportunity go to FTC? Did you have to apply? Were you recruited? How did that work that year? I went to B-team tryouts to get on there because I don't think I was ever on the radar. And so I went to tryouts and at the end, they did an exit uh, interview. And I, I was flat out like, I didn't expect to make this team. I hoped for it, but I really want to go to FTC next year. And that was, I remember Dan Lewis saying, okay, no problem. Talk to Frank, send him an email, and we'll sort it. Nice. Nice. And that was pretty early on in Dan Lewis's days, right? Yeah, I think that was his first year as the full-time head coach at, at FTC, and they changed it to NEP. That was that first year. Maybe in the second year coaching it. If Volleybox is correct, I mean, there would have been guys you are aware of, like probably Bruno and Gavin Taylor, but then you had some absolute puppies. Like, uh, was Matias there when he was in like grade 12? He was the year after. Oh, okay. So I had uh, Ben Hooker, Jordan Murray were probably the youngest. Was Jeremy Davis there when you were there? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The Jerry Davies. Wow. So yeah, you doesn't even straighten his arms. I don't know if you've noticed. And he's such an awesome ball control guy. Unreal. I remember Dan Lewis being like, "Man, you gotta straighten your arms." He's like, "Okay, let's try it." And he just he couldn't do it. He's like, "Whatever, do whatever you want." <laughs> and he's lights out. Amazing. So tell me about a Dan Lewis session because I love uh, Joey Jarvis told a story where uh, his first impression of Dan Lewis getting really mad. Dan yelled at uh, Joey was messing up in practice, and Dan yelled at the group being like why are you letting joey play this poorly somebody's got to pick him up and joey thought like that was such a cool thing where like 
everyone knows it's not going well, but it's on like the group to raise the level for everybody. And it's not just like the coach is the one getting mad, which is kind of like a cool move to play as a coach. Like anything that stands out in your mind, how Dan controls like the intensity and focus of the group. <laughs> Controlling the, the intensity. Dan is a very intense man and he's all in. So he would help us out and let us know you need to hold each other accountable. Uh, I don't remember there being a moment like that, but I definitely remember him letting us know that the quality wasn't there and whether it be him yelling or, or kicking a bin over, uh, that, that intensity was always there. It could be a, an easy certain pass and he's dialed it always. And that was good because seeing that as a player from a coach, it, you want to emulate that, right? And, and so if you're seeing that from his end, he's just standing there. I'm the one doing all this work. How, why, why can't I be like that? I need to be at his level. It's kind of the philosophy we had was less about telling us how to do it or what to do, but just showing us leading by example in that sense. Nice. And take me through the schedule because it's the hours add up quickly. Like what was a a typical week like for you guys? That year was two days every day on court, two days with lift. And then Thursdays were once, but we had a mental session before. Or, or it could have been, I remember Dan teaching us how to cook crock pots prior to sessions. So just always having something else other than volleyball, including Thursday. But it was two days every single day. Nice. And did your group come up with any traditions? I remember Felipe telling me that Thursday used to be to go to Cora's and eat as much carbs as you can day because you had the mornings off. Did you guys do any like group stuff? You know, we, well, we had times where we'd go to the buffet. There's the comment. Yeah. And we'd go to that at lunch. Such a good day. So we'd all go. <laughs> and we were definitely eating the way it was like 12 or $13. Guys like Bruno and Jay McCarthy like, were just going off. <laughs> Sitting there for two hours. <laughs> it was great. Uh, I've only been to Gatineau once and I love that buffet, but by the end of the five days, I was over it. I don't know how athletes continue to go there every day. They must switch up what they're eating because it's overwhelming at the start and then you kind of get sick of it. Well, the first couple of times I'd gone, I went to kind of the main area, but I didn't realize there were all these other areas. You can branch off and go get pizza or go have this guy cut some meat for you. There was sushi. I I didn't realize that. So once you discover that, I think you're okay. Cover everything each day. And for 12 bucks or whatever it is, I mean, you're laughing. Yeah. <laughs> so is part of FTC's goal to get you a contract? Like, I don't know, Volleyball Canada doesn't technically have an agent, but are they steering you in the direction of how to go pro? Like, I know you played a semester at Ryerson before going, but was the goal after FTC being like, I can play pro volleyball? Yeah, it, it really was. Um, they brought in an agent to kind of run us through the process. Um, and then we could always lean on Dan for contracts. Like Jeremy Davies actually left halfway through the year to go play in Finland. Right. And so I, I'm assuming he had a chat with Dan. Is this worth it? Because um, looking back, if, if I would have been offered, no, I, I would have taken it. <laughs> I definitely would have taken it. But looking back at it and knowing now, I, there were clubs and things that I likely shouldn't have done for my development as an athlete. Um, but then again, so you're going pro, right? Like everybody wants to do it, and that's the goal. So Dan was, was definitely there to, to help steer us in that direction of upward not kind of making shitty decisions and is that kind of a credit that like 
everybody benefits from that model? Cause I'm thinking there was an era that you had to be on like the senior A team to be getting like pro offers or now like FTC or guys graduating U sports or CCAA are getting pro contracts who aren't technically affiliated with the national team. So is that maybe because there's people like Dan and Glenn involved that like, you're not taking this bad contract or you're not taking less money. Like Canada might have like a certain standard now. I'm not sure. To be honest, the guys back then you had to be either national team or Trinity Western, one of the big schools, Mac, these guys always got nice fishy contracts. Um, and that was actually my push for getting going to FTC. Was, well, these guys are getting contracts, they're doing something right. I've got to be a part of this program. Whereas I had gotten an agent actually before going to Mohawk and couldn't even get a job in Sweden. And that's like entry level, right? Sweden, Denmark, these leagues I couldn't get into. And I think it's, it was the resume. That didn't have one of these big clubs. Whereas in Europe, they have feeder clubs. Just is not fair. So did that influence your decision that yes, you had one OCAA gold, but you wanted OUA video? Is that why you ended up at Ryerson? Ryerson was actually Matt Harris. He was my club coach. And he said, Come train at Ryerson. He sent me a video of Xander. He said, This kid's gonna be training with us. So come train if you don't get a contract. And that was that was a big thing. That's why I wanted to do it. And I didn't really look at any other schools. It was just, yeah, sure, let's do it. Um, later on, actually that alumni weekend, so it would have been my first weekend in Toronto. I went to Mohawk alumni weekend and Steve Belchuk had just heard that I was at Garson. He's like, hey, what the hell, man? We didn't even have a conversation here. And I thought, oh, shit. True. Yeah, you do work. <laughs> Okay, but yeah, it was a great couple months with Ryerson, though, working with Nico. Matt wasn't there, um, so I got to work with Nico Rubina and Gabe H was there. That was awesome. Did a Madawaska vibes. So it was good. We were able to train during the day and get the work in we needed, but we weren't, I don't think we had the structure that I expected expected and hoped for and that that was a big thing for me taking contract and almost, not that i would take any contract but i wanted to see what it was like overseas do you think coming from ftc and going back to the oua that maybe like skewed your impression of like what a high performance environment is because technically you were around other pro cats and then you go back to the oua where you might have like a couple first years who don't even know that like how to be on time right yeah that that was tough and i think not having our head coach at the time um, and I was, I, I tried out, I did try out, I made sure to try out and I wanted to show the, the boys that I'm, like, I'm not the guy, I'm not the king here. Uh, I was the oldest guy on the team. I was the oldest. I was also technically a rookie. Right. Um, that was with Adam Sanderson and Joel Hannon and we were all rookies together and we were the oldest guys by far on the team. Right. And, and Adam had transferred and Joel my impression is he got really good on the beach and then uh, he did his master's at Ryerson and made the squad too. Right. Yeah. So kind of, kind of a neat situation there. So uh, before we move on from Ryerson, I understand uh, I'm going to have to fact check this. You might still own the record. If not, I, I'm confident saying that Xander probably has it, but uh, how many aces did you get in one match? Eight, eight in one match. And now we did play RMC, but I was ripping serves. We, I know they were over hundred for sure. Cause we were, we were always on the radar at FTC. Any, anywhere we like France, they had just a shopping cart set up with the radar gun in front. And so you always knew how fast you were serving. 
things like that. So we were always testing it, knowing we would consistently be able to serve over 100. And so I know they were they were good serves. Uh, would it have been the same thing against Mac? Yeah. Might have been six. <laughs> but but yeah, three three set match, eight aces. I think I almost had twenty five points in match too. Nice, nice. And uh you mentioned the France thing. Sorry, I skipped over that. Your FTC group, you guys did a France trip. And did you end up playing either the RSCQ uh, schools or uh, did Waterloo come? Like, did you get any competition? Because sometimes FTCs just like train a lot. Like, yeah, no, we got lucky. We were able to play Laval, Montreal, Sherbrooke. We did Sherbrooke. And then we went and played France. Actually, we also played Queens. Queens Halloween weekend. And then we went to France to play a couple of pro teams. And there full-time center team which was i think their u20 or there was a lot of kids but they were great their ftc is younger than ours yeah yeah they were really good i think they're where we're at now we're kind of younger high school that's that's where they were they've always been at i believe so you're at ryerson obviously you're playing well but it's kind of a different mood you get an email a phone call your agent says hey i got this offer yeah i i hadn't to be honest i was working with a couple agents and I said, look, you guys both tell me you can get a contract, prove it. Whoever gets it first, gets me a contract first, I'll sign with you. I have no issues with that. And, and I was open with them both. That's why I don't think it was a scummy thing to do. Uh, and one was able to pick me up uh, in Spain. And uh, that was interesting for sure. What, uh, what city were you in? San Saturnignon. Where, where on a map is that? Help me out. That is Northwest Spain. Okay. I... So I got the call and they're saying, you're, you're going, this was November 9th, I want to say I left. So I'm in Ryerson and at Ryerson, sorry, in Toronto. You don't want to see the apartment I was living in. My wife wouldn't even, she stayed one night and she's like, maybe I should get an Airbnb. Is that bad? Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, 600 bucks a month, right by Dundas Square. And yeah, no, it's not great. But so I left, I packed my bag and they just said, take this flight. Land in Portugal, we'll pick you up. Lisbon. And okay, sweet. Will there be a sign? Like, who am I looking for? Right. Don't worry, we'll see, we'll find it. <laughs> okay, sick. I'm landing somewhere where I don't speak the language. And then drove six to six or eight hours north, just straight up from Lisbon. Much conversation in the car ride? <laughs> the club president picked me up with his translator. And Club presence six five, easily three fifty. Nice. He's a big man. And then the translator, not not much conversation though. And it was I'm jet lagged. It's raining. It's dark. But I landed, and I'm just there with the head. I had no letter, nothing. I'm landing immigration. I'm, I'm nervous. Like I'm sweating. I have no idea what to expect. Stamp, welcome. I thought, oh. This was easy. <laughs> what the hell's going on here? They just let me into the country? Like, no questions asked. And I've got one way ticket, right? Right. Yeah. That was. So that's the, that's the start of it. Yeah, I just kind of picked up a contract and left and then landed and, and that's it. And hope somebody was at the airport. Now, uh, I do have to ask because uh, I haven't paid attention to the Spain League very much, but uh, I'm just going to say soccer is not a sport there. It's a religion. But uh, on this, on the rating scale of how popular sports are, was volleyball pretty popular? Did you get crowds? Yeah. Well, we were, it was always a crowd. Every stadium. I, I was able to play in the oldest club in Spain and that was amazing. I, I don't know what the equivalent would be to in Canada, 
but bands just packed drums not like the Austrian video you showed us, yeah. <laughs> but like similar to that where the whole place is shaking and they weren't even a top five team. Nice. It was just the oldest club and they loved World of all. So what was the, the level like? So you've played OCWA, you played OUA, you played FTC, like was pro in Spain a, a jump for your skill level or you felt like it was pretty appropriate? I think it was a jump. They, the top four teams were quality. They were competing champion. I don't think champions League, but challenge. So they, they were solid. Um, I was in a, a division two team that had just jumped up to did one. Okay. And so they were just kind of looking for, for guys to come in and do their thing. They didn't have a ton of money. Uh, it was a great city and a good culture, but there were, there were issues as there usually are playing pro. And I did what I could for that. <laughs> But no, I think it was pretty appropriate where I was at that time. And I think a big thing, not to jump back to FTC, but Dan did a great job of preparing us for what to expect when overseas. And one of those was butting heads with coach. And now, I mean, having coached me for the last two, three months, pretty easy going guy. I wouldn't voice it, but I'll, I'll have conversations with you. And I haven't had any issues and I haven't had anything to bring up, but... Yeah, those times, like when you're overseas, you don't, don't buy as a coach. It's, you kind of let them do their thing. You can provide advice or suggestions, uh, but you, they won't be received and they're kind of set in their ways. So was your coach at the same club for a lot of years? Like they had built like a pretty good... Three or four. Three or four English speaker? Yeah. Uh, what was, what was the main conflict? You wanted to talk tactics and they're like, just go hit the ball. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was... It was less so in Spain. Spain was good. We were all a big happy family. It's when I got to Sweden and working with a coach and setters in Sweden are tiny. None of them are maybe one was six four, but other than that, I just wanted a loopy ball. Let me hit down the line. It's all I ever wanted to do was hit down the line. Uh, but they wanted to run fast inside balls that force you to hit cross. And we didn't really have the middle threat for the pull. So I'm just being pulled right into the biggest block around the court. So in my head, I'm thinking, look, man, I don't think we should be running this. Like I, I shouldn't. I'm not quick enough. I don't think to get in and work it. I just, just set me a loopy ball and no, no, absolutely not. You hit this cross ball. No problem coach. So I'll provide my suggestion and we'll have a conversation, but it was in the end, it was do what I say. What uh, caused the change, right? Because Volleybox is saying you played Spain and Sweden the same year, right? Like what caused the, the transfer partway through? You know, I wasn't getting paid. <laughs> so late payments, I was okay with for a bit. Uh, and then I moved. I thought I was sick. I, I really thought I had like a cold. And then it lasted longer than a week. Still had a cough. I wasn't feeling 100%. I thought this is weird. And I'm not sure what triggered it, but I moved a big wardrobe in my room and there was mold all the time. No way. Yeah, it was bad. And, and I reached out to the team manager and said, hey man, this is, like I sent him a picture and he's like, oh, you know, it's that time of year. And I'm like, no, this, this isn't the conversation we had. We need to fix this. I need to feel better. You, if you want me to play 100%, I have to feel 100%. Right. And then he, he did bring me a dehumidifier, but he let me know that it's from his house personally. 
<laughs> so uh, thanks. I really, I really feel good about this. But so that, and then I actually worked with a different agent. She was able to get me out of my contract for. Actually, they paid out Sweden paid, paid this, the Spanish team out, and they got me out of there. And um, and I was able to transfer in Sweden. Had no issues with payment. Not then it's great. It's essentially living in Canada. So after a so-so start to it, did you pursue a contract the following year? Or you thought like, you know what? I went all in. I gave it a shot. This just isn't the experience I wanted. I I actually got a job with the government. Being from Ottawa, speaking French, it was relatively easy. And so I had a short-term contract thinking I was going to go back overseas. And I had an offer in Portugal. And I just didn't think it was worth it. And that's when COVID hit, actually. So right. I got pretty lucky. Uh, but I mean, guaranteed money to me, I wanted to start my real estate career. And so I got my, through FTC and our tuition vouchers, I was able to get my real estate license. And so it was a, a win-win. Uh, did I want to go back and play? 100%. I want to play volleyball for the rest of my life if I can. Uh, hence the switch to the beach. Yeah. Before we get to that, so you're back home in Ottawa. Did you keep playing? Like, did you obviously COVID interrupted some stuff, but were you playing men's league? Uh, did you start going to like the max volley stuff on the beach? Like, yeah. um, was it just cause that was your friendship circle? Like you just didn't stop playing. Yeah, exactly. So I was hanging out with Trevor, Trevor Glockman had moved recently moved to Ottawa. Uh, Bruno was back. He wasn't playing overseas anymore. So we kind of, we put a team together with James Madison, um, Mosey, Abdul, yeah. Setter. So we had a solid squad. And that's, yeah, that, we were playing OCBL and then I got into beach with Chris that was two years ago. I did two seasons. I filled in for one. I was just selling. Uh, and then Paul Tambo was, he was teaching and he had to coach. So he had to leave early. And, uh, and so I was able to fill in and just kind of make that, that progression to the beach. Nice. I, I really did enjoy it. Um, but tournaments and stuff where it was just a different game, the heat, the elements, off the heat it's just so cool that ottawa keeps everybody playing where like even like a tuesday night beach league is competitive because like it's a bunch of people who played like club college university like it just seems like a cool community that everyone keeps going yeah there's about 20 26 courts i think at max something like that and so the top top four or five courts are decent quality um where they've got guys like joel schmullen and if you know joel schmullen he, he's still out playing as I could just really dummy balls and it was always a battle every night. So it was, it was competitive and fun. And that's, that's really what kept us going is if we would go out and just dump teams, it would be as fun. Right. Right. Uh, when did you first get the, uh, invite to dead man's beach? That that's funny. I was in a WhatsApp group when Derek was building the court and I was just so busy. I couldn't get up to help. And I eventually got kicked out. (laughs) (laughs) And then I think I came back playing with Chris uh, LaRue, who was Paul Tamarine's partner that I was able to fill in for. And then we kind of, we, we decided to play together. And that's when I got the invite out to, to keep playing with Derek and the boys. Now, the, the audience needs to know this because obviously uh, the, the guy giving the interview is the one who's coaching you on the beach national team. But I think it's a pretty neat story where you have a job, you're married, you've already played pro indoor, and then you decide, I'm going to give this beach national team thing a, a, a chance here. So if it's not too behind the scenes, what was the conversation with the wife first being like, Hey, I know we're settled and we got family here and we're like happy, but uh, I'm going to move to Toronto. What do you think about that? <laughs> so the things, nobody changes until the wedding. 
So the wedding happened and no big change. We weren't talking about anything really. And I remember when I got your message and that day I sat with it for hours before I even bring it up. And then we're at the mall and I said, Hey, because we wanted to move. We wanted to leave Ottawa. I think we needed to change. And so leaving the city wasn't the issue. It, I think it was more the financial situation. Uh, working for the government, I'd moved my way up over three years, was making decent coin. And then the real estate on the side was was a nice, cushy life and set for a nice, cushy life. But I just, I wanted to compete. And when you messaged, I thought, I got it in me. I can do it. And so I brought it up to her. And, and surprisingly, she was all in. She's like, yeah, go for it. I support this. And maybe she didn't know what she was getting herself into because... I don't quite know. She knew the financial situation on the beach scene, but we're figuring it, figuring it out and getting there. But no, she was, she's always been super supportive, um, which is nice. It wouldn't work if, if she wasn't really. It's, I love her. She's the best. That's so cool to hear. And I mean, the, the small benefit is obviously she's working in her field. Yeah, uh, she's working remotely and she could, the, the transition is easy for her. Right. So, uh, as we're recording this, I mean, you're, you got a, a wild welcome to the FIB where you do your due diligence and register for a tournament on time and you're in the main draw. And then for some reason they like to do an extended deadline, which nobody's ever heard of before. I've never heard of this before. And now it looks like you're going to be in the qualifier. So other than that small annoyance, what's been your first impression of uh, playing beach as a pro? To be honest, it's, I think, so I'm, <laughs> When we registered, I was trying to give my wife as much detail as possible because I'm very adaptable and I'm on the go. I'm, I'm good with it. Whereas she wants structure and organization. And the best way to put it, I told her, I told her about it. And I said, look, I am positive that we will be in the tournament. And I just positive vibes. And she responded, yeah, I'm positive this year is going to be a shit show. <laughs> it's like, you are not wrong. Because everything happens like 30 days before. We're three, four weeks out. We have no idea we're playing. Like, it's tough. And you really have to be adaptable to do it. But yeah, that transition. Going from a set schedule for the year, knowing where you're going to be every day. We still don't know if we're going to go, how many days early we're going to go to China LA or something. You know, it's, it's tough. And, She's really gonna have to get used to it because I'm okay with it. I love it. It's kind of my style. Through doing this interview, I wasn't as familiar with your background. Like, obviously, you've had experience with this. Have you just always had this mindset where, like, you're you're not afraid to pull the shoot? Where you go to Nipissini and you're what? This isn't for me. You go back to Gonk and you're like, oh, I want to change. Like, if a younger listening or a coach were listening, excuse me, what advice would you give them to be flexible and being okay with like changing the plan? Because I think sometimes when you're in high school, you get pressure of like, pick your school, pick your career, like stay on the path. Where it seems like you've been pretty flexible and you go from getting a job following this, then you play pro indoor. And now you're on the beach team. Like it looks like you're you're willing to like change something, whatever you're passionate about in that moment. So uh, I'm curious how you've like calmed yourself into making these decisions. I'm not going to say you have to be okay quitting, not quitting, but knowing when it's time to pack it in. You you want to push and always be the best and stick it out. And sometimes it's worth it, but sometimes it really isn't. And you need to make that call. And you're the only one who knows. No one can make that for you. And Failure, I'm okay failing. Like, you have to be for progression. You, if you're just seeing success all the time, which like, I've seen a lot of success in my life, and now coming to the beach, 
wow, this is eye-opening. Trials, tough, very tough. I don't think I failed that hard before ever. Um, and so you, you really have to be okay failing and, and being on that. You need to know it, it, quitting, leaving the team is not easy, but nothing worth it ever is. If if it were easy, everyone would do it. Is something I always say to my wife. She hates it, but if it were easy, everyone would do it, right? <laughs> You've got to be okay quitting and failing sometimes. Do you, do you ever get the challenge of uh, you never really know, right? Like you're chasing an unknown. Like you, you hope for the best and you put in the work that it is going to work out. But like all of these steps along the way, there's no way you could have predicted the outcome. No, never. But I see it as experience. I'm getting a ton of experience in good times, friendships. There's always a, a positive spin to it. Yeah, we can go and we could go to TV and lose everything, but I'm sure there will be positives to take away from it. That's so cool, man. Happen, <laughs> but we have to be ready for it. For sure. For sure. Oh man, this has been so cool. Cause like I said, uh, we're working together now, but I, I didn't know the full details and it obviously I've coached against you when you're at Gong. So it's interesting to get the final details. So thanks for sharing all that you did. But, uh, one thing we've built into a tradition on the show is obviously you've played at the highest level, but, uh, something odd or funny usually happens along the way that volleyball gives us a pretty cool experience. I was hoping you could share a funny story before we let you go. Yeah, for sure. Um, when I first arrived in Spain, we, all of us, most, most of the athletes live in the same house. And so we would take a car down to practice, very small town. And so everyone knows each other, one road, one main road, and uh, we're ripping down and we're going like 90 on a, in a 40 zone. We're ripping and music blasting. And so the setter who's from down South Spain, not from this town, a big Russian in the front seat. And then another Spanish guy from, I think he was from the south of Spain as well. So no locals, and we're just flying down. The road. <laughs> and we get to the roundabout, and there's a cop, and he had a, a machine gun, <laughs> and he's just standing there, and he waves us, and he gives us the, the point, pull over, like, and and I remember thinking, oh shit, we're all this. Like this is we're done. We're going way too fast. They're taking the car. Sums up. And the setter rolls down the window. The cop leans in, looks into the car, gives us a wave, and then waves us goodbye. No way. And the setter starts driving. He says, surprise, surprise, mother the king's back. A big Conor McGregor fan. And that's when he's fighting. That was the time. But I'm like, what the hell just happened? I'm so clueless. But like, I thought for sure we're screwed. But small town, everybody loves the volleyball players. We, it was it was a great feeling knowing that we could go to restaurants. Not that I was looking for handouts, but they would give you things, make you try things. I have a fish allergy, and so I had to really watch it when I was in Spain. Right. We were right on the coast, and a lot of fresh fish, and, and I had to make sure I had somebody English speaking always helping me out. So a few times as well, I, I ate fish and had like an itchy throat, and not deathly allergic, but definitely figured that out. So as you think back, what was the cop looking for to make sure that you weren't drinking or doing anything extra stupid? Or they spotted a logo on your jacket and like, oh, they're with the club. He didn't even need to see the logo. He knew by looking at faces. Oh, my gosh. Just how small town this place was. So if you want to feel like a rock star, go to small town Spain and play some indoor volleyball. Well, <laughs> not just Spain, but to Sweden as well. It was just another small town and you're almost a celebrity in these towns. 
that you get to play in and, and experience. Well, we'll have to win some tournaments together so you can get that treatment here in Canada. But uh, that, that part will come later. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing all that you did. And uh, this is our first in-person interview since before COVID. And it feels nice to actually be face-to-face with somebody. So, uh, yeah, thanks for breaking the streak and doing one in person here. Thank you for having me. This is awesome.